0: Welcome to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. Danish composer Jesper Kidd is responsible for scoring all four of the Assassin's Creed games. These are some of my favorite games of all time. I think the writing is wonderful. The acting is wonderful. The scenery and the graphics are fantastic. The gameplay is compelling and interesting. The music, of course, is incredible because Jesper wrote it and you can empathize with the characters in the game. Assassin's Creed Revelations is the newest installment in the Assassin's Creed series. It just came out on Tuesday, November 15th. Assassin's Creed is set in 2012, but you actually travel back in time through the mind of a modern-day bartender named Desmond Miles. Desmond is a direct descendant of the Assassins, so through his DNA, we travel in time to relive the stories of his ancestors. Jesper had the opportunity then to blend elements of old music and new music to reflect that duality that exists throughout the entire game. He and I spoke before the game's release, and we also spoke before his trip to Minnesota Public Radio headquarters for Top Score's first live event. Thank you very much for your time today. I'm looking very forward to talking to you about all of this music that you've written for such a great game. Cool. Thanks for having me here. One of the things that I notice, your music, almost more than uh, just about any other music, makes me want to play the game. I have this craving to play Assassin's Creed when I hear your music. So I want you to know that first and foremost, that... Whatever that is about your music that gets me to want to play the game is magnificent.
1: (laughs) That's cool. That's very interesting to hear put like that. Hmm.
0: Now, someone who's sitting next to me watching me play Assassin's Creed might assume that it's all taking place in Renaissance Italy or something like that. But of course, we know that's not the case. This is actually a sci-fi game. And we spend time in the Holy Land during the Crusades, and we spend... Time in Renaissance Italy, and we'll get to be in Constantinople, in Revelations. But you know, since the game takes place in in 2012 and is actually a sci-fi game, you've you've managed to do this great blend of old and new elements in your music. So, was that your plan from the very beginning? I
1: would have to say it, it was. Yes, um, Desmond's story was always a really important part of of this. Um, of this whole world, and um, wherever you know he travels, um, everything goes through the Animus and through Desmond. So I, I think it's it's very important to keep reminding the audience that we are inside this uh, simulation. And um, Ubisoft does that very well with the, with the games. There's all these flickers on the screen and static uh, screens that it, that it looks like sometimes the, the animus is not, you know, working 100% or it's trying to tune itself in. Or mm-hmm. uh, And so it, it's something that I think across the franchise that everyone is working on. And uh, musically, that was, that was the plan as well. ¶¶
0: When they first approached you about working on this game, do you recall what they told you about the story? Yeah,
1: there was three different main themes that we were talking about that could have an influence, that should have an influence on the score. Um, And those were the fact that the the Crusades was a very tragic moment in, in history and we wanted to take that tragic element and put in the score. And also there was a lot of war going on around the world at that time as well, so we wanted a certain amount of aggressiveness. And finally, there was a sense of mysticism that we talked a lot about. And the mysticism, I really, how do you say this? There was a lot there to work with as far as mysticism. You know, war, there's not as much there to work with. So it was more the tragic and the mysticism I honed in on the most.
0: There is that sense of tragedy in the music, but it always seems to have a hint of hope inside of it as well. I think that's one of the motivating factors for me as a player is hearing your music kind of boost me up and make me realize that there's a, a greater sense of purpose here and there's hope. Do you know what I'm getting at here?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, that that is true. I, I do, I guess work on that it's not something I've thought too much about but I think you're right there is a sense of hope in my music no matter how much I bring you down I always feel like that has got to be some kind of hope in there and for video games you have that opportunity because if you're sitting playing a video game for 20-25 hours and let's say the story is very tragic you don't want a 25 hour experience as far as music and setting the mood just to be a big downer there has to be some kind of um, hope and there has to be a a reward for playing it and and video games also they're supposed to be fun you know film as a medium is different some films are meant to bring you down they're meant to give you a super realistic view of something that happened Mm -hmm. and and that's the power of film that's not why people play video games you know they want to have fun with the games and no matter how serious the subject is I, I think we can still you know sit back and say well it is a video game you know am I having fun as a video game player with this or am I going too far as a video game player myself you know I, I always try to put that video game hat on a game player hat on when, when I'm not sure if I'm going too far with things and uh, what the game player would think would be cool to happen next as far as audio and music and, and I try to you know I try to go there.
0: Assassin's Creed II and in Brotherhood, we played as Ezio Auditore. But he's he's much older in Revelations. He's aged, I'm not entirely sure how much, but enough to tell that he's older. How much did that passage of time affect your score for Revelations? Um, I would say
1: not too much because he's still considered a master assassin and he's still considered to be at the top of his game. Assassins 2, he's kind of becoming an assassin. Mm-hmm. Brotherhood, he's becoming a master assassin. And Revelations, he kind of um, enjoys, what do you say, revels or something, mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. being a master assassin, he he kind of pushes it as far as he can. So, you know, it, it was not something that was on the table that we, sh- we should be reminded of that too much. And also, there's a lot of focus on the new setting. So it's more about the new setting and uh, Ezio, you know, still being a kick-ass assassin.
0: <laughs> and he definitely is. <laughs> yeah. When you learned of Ubisoft's plan to bring Ezio and Altair together, more or less, in this fourth game, did you search for differences between the two or did you search for similarities in, in, in them in terms of writing the music?
1: Well, I immediately thought about the music for Assassins 1 and um, if there's any themes we can bring back or any key moods we can bring back there and then you know, reboot them or reuse some of the themes. But the thing about that is after when Assassin's 2 came out, I think we made such a big jump as far as what the game was becoming. Mm -hmm. And Assassin's 2 was just such a successful gameplay experience where Assassin's 1, you know, had a few problems here and there. Musically, Assassin's 2 is also very different from Assassin's 1. I feel we learned a lot from the first game and we really listened to the fans and we talked a lot about how we could opt the ante on every level. So that, it was a bit tricky going back to Assassin's 1 because the music does sound very different from Assassin's 2 and Assassin's Brotherhood which has more of a continuation of music style. So what I did is I applied that newfound style from Assassin's 2 and, and Brotherhood and applied that to Revelations so that it felt like it was rebooted to the sound that has now become the sound of the series.
0: One of the one of my favorite sounds of the series is uh, how you kind of intersperse chant like singing throughout much of, especially uh, Brotherhood. There's a lot, and it seems like such a, a brilliant tool to use because chant, that kind of plain chant esque sound that you've inserted, not only is indicative of the fact that this is an older time, but it's also such powerful music that was used by the church then, too. And that being such a huge piece of the puzzle of the story, I mean, I just, I love how you integrate that, that old-world sound into the into the score.
1: Some people actually think that I'm using um, samples for my vocals, and uh, I just want to make it clear that all the the vocal sounds are all recorded live. I then take them and make them kind of my own, and, and I guess that's where it can start sounding like maybe it's... Um, It's sampled because I do so much editing to them. I don't don't just take the performance and let it flow through the track. I, I like to cut it up. I like to do all kinds of things to it and run it through different machines and stuff.
0: just your electronic music background that makes you tinker with things like that then?
1: Yeah, I mean some scores I record things the way they are and I, I you know and I insert them in the track and everything is is that way. But with Assassin's Creed there's such an opportunity to always mess around with things and always take something that's a Performance and mess around with it because, hey, we're in the animus. It's almost like there's this rule set that says in my brain, mess it up, you know, you're in the animus, even though this is, a, you know, some beautiful vocal performance. Don't forget where we are. And so I always look at it from that perspective. And, and that's a really good fit with my music style as well because that's something that I've always been passionate about, seeing how far I can push things as far as creating music styles that blend different things together that you might not usually hear um, and I'm always kind of searching for that to see how can we how can we come up with something new
0: you've enjoyed the most about working on the entire series to date? Um,
1: Assassin's 2 was really fun to work on. There was this sense of excitement that just from Patrice to to the whole team to the music, it just transcended everything and it, it was just a really great experience. Um, we all knew, I think, I, I can't speak for others, but I have this feeling that we all knew we were creating something special and that mm-hmm. this game was going to be cool and it really touched me the way they, they were telling the story of Ezio. It's it's like they go all the way back from, you know, when he's in his teens and don't have a worry in the world. And then mm-hmm. they introduce the story and its tragic elements. It's like we were watching the birth of a character. And um, and I think, again, that's why people really like Ezio because they feel they know him. You know, we've seen him from the beginning of, of his, his teenage days uh, with no worries and up until now. We've seen what's happened. It's been a tough life, and I think we connect much more after having played, you know, 20 hours for each game with that character. You know, that's a really special thing, the the birth of Ezio, is what I would say, with Assassins 2 has been my favorite moment.
0: It definitely was one of my favorite moments to learn that there was going to be an Assassins 2. I think um, I share your understanding that when Assassins came out, the very first one came out, it was a game-changer. And it was so thrilling to know that two was coming out because you just knew that everything that they tried so hard to make happen in one that just didn't quite work out was totally going to work in two, and it did. <laughs> yeah, and it was great. It,
1: I, I feel the same way. I, you know, before Assassins One, you know, it, it was um, open world sandbox game. It was more of a Grand Theft Auto kind of was was ruling that world. But then mm-hmm. Assassins came along. and It was the first opened. World game that I can think of that that actually involved more about a character walking around instead of being in, in cars and stuff. So mm-hmm. I think they were definitely um, the, the first there to do that.
0: Instead of being just a very, I guess, flat sandbox game, it was a vertical sandbox game. I mean, we can climb wherever we want, and that was just such a beautiful thing to be able. It was such a freeing thing as a player to just be able to think huh, there's the Duomo in Florence. I want to climb it and just be able to climb it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, that's just wonderful,
1: <laughs> yeah, that was always from the beginning, from the moment I was first pitched this game, introduced this game, that was always how you know patrice saw it and and I always I, I thought this is this is so crazy and am- ambitious. You know, how, how can they do this? You know, you see this thing all the way in the distance. Oh yeah, you can go there, you can climb that. Mm-hmm. It just, nobody had done that at that time. And uh, they pulled it off and, and I was really in awe. I thought the first game, uh, I mean the graphics in that game, it just looked incredible.
0: And it, it still does. popular <laughs> people, people love your music Jesper and mm. why do you think that is what do you when you think about your fan base and how much loyalty there is to your music especially in the assassin series we're going to talk about your other projects in a moment or two but you have lots of loyal fans what do you think uh, that is uh, for
1: well, I, I can't answer that question, but I can give a few ideas of of what I try to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I really do try to pay attention to my scores, to put creative ideas in my scores, and to come up with cool things. Um, it, it, for me, it's, it's not about writing as many scores as I can per year and just... Uh, Going in that direction, I I feel very personal to the scores I write. I don't know if I feel very personal, but I definitely feel personal to my scores. There's a connection there, and I try to draw everything I can into my score um, from my own inspirations and life and everything. And it's I don't know if that answers your question, but I just um, I try as hard as I can on every score to create something that that I feel is uh, is fun to listen to. You know and and in this day and age with everything going on and 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 it's it's such a hard life out there. and and I, I just don't like the idea of, of creating anything that can be considered disposable. you know I, I, I feel we're here on this planet for a short time, and if there's any way that you know any of us can make a difference even in the slightest way, you know, we should take that opportunity and 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 just you know go for it. and, and that's kind of what I try to to put in my music.
0: talking about Assassin's 2 a moment ago you also got to score the trailer for for that game and that's actually not that common correct yeah, it's it's, it's not. more common that they they hire somebody else to score the trailer or they'll use licensed music for the trailer but Assassin's 2 trailer was Pretty remarkable. Will you talk about that? Yeah, it's
1: still one of my favorite trailers. Actually, I, I just saw that uh, game trailers did a top one hundred trailers, and it was like in the top five or something. And that was
0: uh, number three. Ah, uh, oh, number
1: three. I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty amazing considering it's from what is it, two thousand nine? I think. Yes. That trailer became something where you watch that trailer and you know how the game is going to play and how it's going to feel. Mm-hmm. That's unusual, yes. That that you have the same composer creating that world for the trailer that's already in the game often these days you see trailers that you know has everything from bands you know Mm -hmm. and and you play the game and it just sounds completely different Uh, so i thought it was very brave on their part to take that and and present that mood and and here is the renaissance mood of italy and this is what you're going to get again i think that's why it's such a successful trailer because it accurately uh, explains the mood and What happens in the trailer is actually something you can play in the game as well. Yes. So it's for the most part. I
0: remember, of course, seeing the trailer and watching it God knows how many times in advance of the game coming out. And then I remember getting to play that scene and how gratifying that was. And basically, for those who aren't familiar with the trailer or the game at all, there's this beautiful scene in the second Assassin's Creed game where – You're basically um, at the carnival and everyone is in masks and costumes and beautiful, beautiful clothing and dancing and it's just, it's a breathtaking scene and uh, I'm very glad that it turned out that way.
1: Yeah, I I agree. (laughs)
0: As you've written music for all these games, the, all of the Assassin's Creed games in particular, which composers and or musicians have influenced you the most? Well, I'm more
1: influenced by something completely different. I mean, one of my favorite bands are uh, Reichsab, you know, Norwegian band. Mm-hmm. They really kind of have that Scandinavian sound, you know, being Scandinavian myself. I, I don't know if that's why I connect with it, but there's a certain darkness there mixed with a certain amount of hope, maybe. Um, Mm. Same thing about Vangelis, you know. I think he Mm -hmm. can go and and create these very majestic and uh, moody scores that are full of all kinds of elements. It could be suspense and danger. But again, there's also maybe in some of his music definitely hope, you know. Yes. And I think those are the kind of things I'm influenced by, you know, people that create music not looking at it like, okay, I'm creating music for branding and advertising, you know, that's one thing. And that's not really how I look at it when I'm hired on a project. I look at it more like I'm trying to create something something real almost. I know that kind of sounds silly, but, you know, I, I, I look at it with that kind of perspective that the music has to be able to stand on its own as, as a mm-hmm. piece of music, you know. It's not just something that fits the scene right here and then once that's done, the music doesn't work on its own. I, you know, I, I try to put some... A little bit more thought into it, maybe. Yeah. that That's kind of how I see it.
0: Can we talk about your, I would assume, musical journey from Denmark to here in the U.S.?
1: Yeah, we can do that. Sure. So, yeah, I was in in Denmark. Um, I was in what's called the European demo scene. I think I started in that scene when I was probably 15 or something like that. Wow. You know, um, started making music with Commodore 64 and playing the piano and, and stuff like that. It was interesting, I started creating music every single day um, on the Commodore 64. I, I did a track a day, and I've wow. done hundreds of songs on the, on the Commodore 64. At some point, you know, I was introduced to a group that wanted to do a music demo to showcase my music, because they like my music, and I was like, okay, fine, I you know, supplied some music for them, and that was kind of my first demo on the Commodore 64. And since then, it kind of just kept going, I kept making music every day, and then I got an Amiga. And uh, it had actually, instead of that SIT chip, which um, is is an analog chip, it actually had a sample playback chip. So you can play back four sample channels at the same time. So you had four channels. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started sampling from everywhere and trying to find out how to create music with samples. So I, I picked up a lot of composing skills with the Commodore 64 because you had no samples. The only thing you had was melody. That was it. Mm. everything sounded so low tech that if you didn't have a catchy melody you had nothing You know. Sure. but with samples it was the opposite you could go and, and sample these really impressive things and play them and it would sound good and you didn't even have to have melody it was like the opposite so I, I kind of started marrying the two and um yeah, it was it was interesting, you know. I I mean I, I went to all these demo conferences and and hacker conferences, whatever they're called, cracking parties and all this stuff. And I was signing people's T-shirt by, you know, when I was like seventeen, you know. And <laughs> it was really kind of surreal. And you know, we did a few concerts as well in the demo scene for thousands of people. And uh, wow, it was kind of a journey. So I ended up being introduced to a bunch of programmers who was considering some of the best Danish programmers, and we were considered some of the best graphic and music. And so we kind of formed forces, and did a demo called Hardwired, which was, it's regarded as as one of the the best demos on on the Amiga by quite a few people. Um, It's it's up for argument, but anyway, and we thought, okay, what can we do after this Hardwired demo? We really just put everything we could into this. Ah, we know what we're going to do. We're going to form a game company and we're going to keep going, you know, so we want to do this for a living. We want to make money and be able to support ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of how it started and we did a few different games and the first game we did that actually was sold was for the Sega Genesis and uh, it was bought by Sega and then we were brought over here to Boston and that's what we kind of started there and those are the guys, by the way, that went back um, after a game company crashed because uh, we didn't get paid so they went back to Denmark and formed IO Interactive and started making Hitman. So I have a long history with those guys.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: So that's kind of like the the beginning of it back there.
0: The Hitman music, uh people who played the game will know that theme. I mean it's some of the most memorable music uh and I guess that's probably what really brought you to uh, fame, I guess, or recognition in in the global sense. Would you agree? Or
1: I think you're right. I mean, the success of Hitman One, I think, was um, it, it was really interesting. I was working on Hitman One. I was working on M.D.K. Two for Bioware, and I was working on uh, Messiah for Shiny Entertainment, Interplay. And out of all those games, um, Hitman became the one that just kept on going. And the funny thing about Hitman 1 is that it's not even CD-based music. That actually is a music system called Direct Music. Really? So it's, it's what's called chip music. I, I like to uh-huh. call it chip music, even mm-hmm. though it uses samples. Um, but it's called Direct Music and uh, made by Microsoft. And uh, so I had a really hard time trying to be ambitious with the music, but at the same time, I was working with this music system that had a few limitations. The good thing about that music system was that you could really uh, make the music very interactive so there's definitely good things about that but as far as the music quality uh, that that was a bit of a challenge.
0: as the technology in the industry has changed how has your approach changed or adapted
1: um it's not changed that much when working on amiga um and, and doing all those hundreds of songs on that as well um with samples i i don't know i had this idea that we were always going to end up with cd based music in games because that is the ultimate quality you can have a symphony orchestra play and it will sound great Mm-hmm. Um, so even when working on a Commodore 64, um, well maybe not, let let me rephrase this, when working on the Amiga that's something that became a- apparent, that no matter where we take the, the, the gaming machines, Sega Genesis, you know, Playstation um, is obviously where it really started taking off the CD based music, but on the earlier consoles like Sega Genesis, it, you know, I mean, Sega CD came out, and then boom, everything was was CD music. So it was always important to me to keep working on a music style that um, um, how do you say embraced the CD music. So I was always doing CD music on the side while at the same time doing um, Amiga music. Um, so I had a band with a friend of mine, and we had like a ton of synthesizers and drum machines, and we would do all these this music. And those are some of the concerts we did back in the demo scene. Um, that was not a concert with Amiga music or Commodore sixty four music. No, that was real music, you know, with synthesizers <laughs> and stuff. So I was always doing that because that's the only logical point that that it's gonna go. So um, you know, and I and I love music, and I don't necessarily love all the limitations of working in, in with a music system for for the early consoles. The limitations they can make for some interesting music styles, like, for example, the Adventures of Batman and Robin, you know, which I did on the Sega Genesis for Sega, Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a pretty crazy score. Uh, It's all (laughs) FM. We programmed our own music program. Nobody had this music program except for us. And it produced CD quality music uh, in 44 hertz, and um, it was just six FM channels. There was no samples. And it, it sounds pretty crazy, you know. I, I So that program was custom-made, uh, you know, a lot of crazy things I wanted was put in there. And so, um, yeah, I still to this day, I don't think I can make music like that because that program was just so crazy. that you have interactive music systems maybe you have you know six or ten layers of music playing but that music is still you know cd-based music i don't like to let those kind of limitations dictate the mood of the of the music i think the the ultimate thing is to come up with the idea and then trying to present that idea and not having to deal with limitations as far as presenting the idea
0: by CD music, are you talking, you're talking? talking about the quality, right? I'm
1: talking about music that you would um, hear, you know, when you yep. um, w- w- wave files, you know, w- mm-hmm. w- whatever, on, on a CD. Mm-hmm. Because these other music pieces, like a Commodore 64 track, can be like 3K long, you know. Oh, wow. A, um, a, a Amiga track can be like maybe 400K long. You know, and a, typically an MP3 these days is maybe 5 meg, you know. Yes. So, I mean, we're talking like very tiny, tiny little files that they can put inside these tiny little games for the Commodore 64, you know, or the Amiga. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's what I mean. When I mean CD-based music, I mean like MP3, you know, wave mm-hmm. files. You get the, the full quality. You don't have to worry about... Uh, you know, doing some music that takes up like 2K. And when you play your cell phones these days, that's actually chip music. You know, mm-hmm. That kind of music only takes up a few Ks, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not CD-based music.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about Revelations then. We haven't really talked too specifically about the game, and I know that we really can't, but um, I did get to hear some of the tracks uh, in advance, and of course the, I, I really, really enjoyed them.
1: Well, the location was very interesting. Um, the time period is basically the same as Assassins 2. There's not a, you know, there's not, the, the change is not enough for it, I think, to impact the music. Because remember, we don't try to create these scores for Assassins that are very accurately for the time period. You know, sure. that, The music you had kind of back then would not make an entertaining score today, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so it was more about the location and how do I you know what what should be the the, the main influence in in this score? and um, I came up with the idea that we should we should go with the Greek element as that should definitely be an important um, element. Constantinople or Istanbul is such a melting pot of cultures, especially back then. Um, that there was just no real, like, you know, what influence should we take, you know? And, mm-hmm. But the thing that brought it all together was the fact that Greek was the, was the main spoken language. So that's when I immediately thought, okay, Greek, this is great. We can really, we can really go and, and explore that whole Greek sound. And um, so that, that's what I explored with um, especially the exploration tracks.
0: When you are talking about, I mean, I, I think I have a pretty good handle on what you mean by Greek sound, but if you were to describe that to someone who might not understand what that means, what would you say?
1: You know, there, there is a certain um, passion in Greek music, you know. It's mm-hmm. like there's a almost like a, a folk music side to it, and um, it's that passion of, of, of you know, playing um, whether you're at a restaurant and somebody plays this music or... It, it's just that there is that kind of um, folk passionate music in there that I was trying to capture. And um, then, of course, there's also um, the the different instruments. And um, I kept the acoustics guitar going, and I'm also using Greek guitars and um, different kind of flutes um, and, and just trying to give it this kind of um, Greek influence, for lack of a better word.
0: About uh, Assassins 2 and Brotherhood, uh, maybe, maybe particularly Brotherhood, is that acoustic guitar that you have that almost does kind of like those little flamenco licks, <laughs> you yeah. know? I, I love that.
1: That's very uh, interesting that you caught that because the guitarist I work on on Brotherhood and Revelation, he is a flamenco guitarist.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> and I was very impressed with him and um you know I like to challenge people and I like to take somebody like like Dan and say hey you know I know this is not your thing but let's do it anyway and then see what comes out of it. Uh interesting things happen that way. I'm I'm all about finding that kind of you know, magic, if you will, if you can if you can kind of find that place where people don't really know, but they're trying, and, and then, you know, it's, it's it's very different if you have, like, a total seasoned guitarist who knows exactly what he's doing, and he's doing his thing, he's doing it every day, mm-hmm. um, but with Dan Sistos, you know, I thought, okay, let's, so yeah, he's a flamingo guitarist.
0: <laughs> That's great. I love it, and you're a guitarist.
1: Well, you know, I did play the classical guitar as a kid for a few years, and, um well, maybe a little more than a few years, but I tried for some reason very hard to forget it. You know, I don't know if it was a traumatic experience or what, but it was <laughs> it was classical guitar, right? <laughs> so it wasn't like strumming chords. It was like pling, 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 pling. You know, and yep. I just I did not like that, and I was really young, and I was like, this is crap. You know, mm-hmm. um, now I kind of regret trying to forget it so hard because now I don't really play the guitar anymore, but. Um, I do like to take my guitar and just put weird strings on it and make weird, tune the strings all weird and just start hammering out weird stuff. That that stuff, yes, is in the scores here and there a little bit.
0: I love that game. (laughs) I just love, love Borderlands. It's so much fun to play that game, and I knew when I got the game, I, I just picked the game up a few months ago. I knew ahead of time that you had scored some of it, but I hadn't really paid quite attention to which part, and of course as soon as the game started. I was like, that is Jesper. <laughs> That's <laughs> Jesper's music. And I loved that I could tell, but that it was still completely different than, than the kind of music you wrote for Assassins. So talk a little bit about that yeah. experience.
1: It's, it's, it's interesting you say that, because I think no matter how hard I try to get away you know, from sounding... Um, like me i guess I, I i just can never get away from it I, I don't even know what it is that makes that so right. it's uh, interesting to hear uh, that was a uh, again very different experience um it, it was more about creating the, the the tracks that i created in 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 the game was um it was it was more about you know finding the mood of 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 the world and um, i i basically just sat down and did it you know it was, it was one, of, one of those things i Pretty much knew where I wanted to go with it and wrote what I thought was appropriate, and uh, yeah, kind of just happened pretty quickly.
0: conversation today, Jesper. I just, I can't wait to have you here in St. Paul. It's going to be fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's going to be great.
0: You've been listening to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. Our technical director is Sam Keenan. Upcoming episodes of Top Score will feature Ron Fish, who did a lot of scoring for Batman Arkham Asylum and also Batman Arkham City. He also scored Rise of Nightmares and a number of other games. That episode is coming up. Also, we have an 8-bit episode coming up that will all be ahead in Top Score. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter or Tumblr, you can do so at Top Score Podcast. for the easter egg at the end this time um so yeah um good luck with that all right